It's great to see you guys tonight. We've been talking all month long about the mission of our church. Why Why do we exist? Why are we here? And I said we, we can say it a few different ways, our, our mission, but we say it concisely. We say it like this. Uh, we, our mission is that all of us together would love like Jesus, would live like Jesus, and would lead like Jesus. As we're studying our mission, we've been talking about how does Jesus love and live and lead, and tonight we're doing the very same thing, but in a different, a very different way. Tonight, actually, I'm going to be taking two stories in the life of Jesus, two, two simple encounters. Now, they're very different. They're very different encounters, but, but they have some, some commonality. In both encounters, someone approaches Jesus, and we're going to ask the question, is it important the way that you approach people or problems or God? Is, is your approach an important thing? Then we see Jesus' response to both of these people in separate parts of Scripture as they respond. Then, then we see the leadership of Jesus, and then we see how the people respond to him as well. Now, here's your job tonight. Your job, and I'm not going to do your job for you. Your job is to, to find out for yourself, do some critical thinking. How does Jesus love? How does he live? And how does he lead in these stories? Before we do that, I do want to start just by, by thanking you. Just by saying thank you to all of you for your involvement in our church. It's, a, it's been a, an awesome season for us and a great time. We're seeing lots of growth, but I especially just want to say thank you for those of you that are giving financially, especially we, we depend on those financial uh, gifts that you give us, and we are, we are a little bit behind our, our expected budget, but we just we say thanks for what you've done and your continued giving uh, towards what God's doing here in our church. So we've got, we got two stories. We're going to compare two very separate people and encounters with Jesus and learn some things about Jesus, how he loved, how he lived, how, how he leads. And the first one, I already told you uh, one story. We're, we're, I guess we had three tonight. One was the story of the 10 lepers, and one comes back to say thank you. The second story also involves a man with leprosy. And I want you to think about that just for a second. Anyone in the first century who had leprosy was an outcast. They had lost whatever they had. They've lost it. They cannot live with their family. They, they smell like rotting flesh. It's contagious. It's also a death sentence on their life, a horrible way to die. We see a story about, about Jesus and a man with leprosy again. And by the way, the, both stories we're studying tonight happen. They all, all, sorry, both stories happen in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And looking at all three accounts, we get additional details about these stories and about Jesus, who he is and what he's doing. So look at the very first one. It's a man, a man with leprosy. This happens in Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. Now a, a leper, a man with leprosy, came to him, imploring him. Just get the scene, maybe, maybe in your mind. Here's Jesus, and his disciples are probably with him, walking along the road, and a man with leprosy comes up to him. And he comes in with these three details that were given. He implores him. He kneels down before him, and he says to him, if you are willing, Jesus, if you're willing, make me clean. Now think about this. How would it have changed the leper's life to be cleansed. He'd have his, his, he'd have his entire life back again. If Jesus simply cleansed him, healed him, his whole life is back. But I'm going to say to you, I think we see, we're going to look at both approaches. I think this man approaches Jesus in the right way. Now, here's, here's something I wrote in the questions that I wrote for this sermon. I wrote this. He approaches with reverence by kneeling. He approaches with faith. 
declaring that Jesus can cleanse him, and he approaches with desperation, imploring Jesus. And I'll just say to you, those three words, those three key words are really important to think about how you might approach Jesus. Number one, with reverence. It says in Psalms, let us bow down before the Lord. You come with reverence before God. And number two, you come with faith. He's saying, Jesus, I know there are two issues. Can you do it and will you do it? I know you can do it. I'm asking, are you willing to do it in my life? He has full faith in Jesus' power. And last of all, he's, he's desperate. He's got a desperation about his life. Let's go ahead and look at the other person we're studying tonight. And, and this, this man with leprosy is at the bottom, absolute bottom of society. The other person we're looking at is at the absolute top of society. This story comes to us in Mark chapter 10. And, and all three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all say he's rich. Matthew says he's very rich. It's a, it's a rich person. We learn, we learn in, in Matthew 19, 16, he's a young person. He's rich. He's young. And Luke 18, 18 says he's a ruler. Now, let's talk about that just for a second. What, what does it mean when the Bible says he's a ruler? It means he has authority, and it could mean one of two things. He might have local authority. He's a judge in a local court. The Romans allowed the Jewish people to, to, to rule over themselves, generally speaking, and he might be a local judge. If that's the case, it's because of his family's influence. He's rich, he's young, and they gave him this position, a family position, to be a judge in this community. But it might mean this. It might mean even a higher position. He might actually be serving on the Sanhedrin, the ruling class over Israel, ruling in cases, especially cases that, that affect life and death. This man has it all. He's rich, he's young, he's a ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he simply approaches him in a very, very different way than how the man with leprosy approaches Jesus. He approaches him casually. Here's, here's, the, here's the approach. And a ruler also approaches Jesus. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a very casual approach. Hey, good teacher. Hey, hey he doesn't say master like the, the, the lepers did in the first story. He, he, says, he says, good teacher. And it's, it's kind of a compliment, but he's kind of saying, you're really only a teacher, and I, I'm going to tell you, I think you're a good teacher. And he approaches him in that way. Now, the question for us tonight, I want to ask your thoughts on this, is, is how you approach something important. Is your approach ever important at all? Does your approach affect what happens? For example, how you approach a problem. Does how you approach a problem affect solving the problem? Or how you approach people. Should, should you think about the way that you approach people in your life? Now, this one, how you approach people, I'll say there's some evidence. There's a, a, a marriage counselor in America. His name's John Gottman. He's done the research on this, and he says this. He says, in marital communication, if you're married, listen up. In marital communication, there is a 90% fail rate when conversations begin with a harsh startup. Now, if you're married, you already knew that, right? When you begin with a harsh startup, 90% of the time, that conversation ends badly. Harsh startups in the room, any harsh startups around, right? So how you approach people actually does matter. How you approach people, how you begin a conversation directly affects how that conversation ends. That's what I believe, at least. At least 90% of the time, it has a direct effect on the end of the conversation. But how about this? Is how you approach God important? Is an important thing. You know, I recently opened a, an article, uh, and the, the article said this. It said, um, which time of day 
is the best time to work out. And I thought, that's interesting. I'd like to know the best time of day to work out. I opened the article and, and the, the author said this. He said, he said two things. Number one, anytime you'll actually work out is the best time to work out. But then the author said this, there actually is a best time. There's a best time to work out. You'll burn more calories if you work out at this certain time, 7 a.m. And if you, if you work out with an empty stomach, it actually will be a, a more beneficial workout for burning calories and losing fat. So they, they said, yeah, actually, there is a better time. But for you, any time is the right time if you actually do it. And the same thing is probably true about approaching God. Probably true that any time you approach God is a good time for you to approach God. Any time that you will actually come before God in prayer or worship is good. But I believe there are ways, we see them in this story, that are more beneficial for you connecting with God when you approach him. Here's your first fill-in, and it very simply says this. As we approach Jesus in prayer or worship, It is helpful, number one, to prepare our hearts. Number two, eliminate distractions. And number three, focus our minds. That's actually how I began this service today. I asked you to do that. Prepare your heart. Remember where you are. Remember what you're doing. When you go to prayer, that's what you should be doing. Prepare your heart. Get ready. Prepare yourself for what is about to happen. Remember what you're doing. Number two, eliminate distractions. If I was you and you, when you go into a time of prayer, I would do one of two things. Number one, put your phone on do not disturb. Or number two, put your phone in another room that isn't anywhere around you at all. Last week, I, I made a really quick mention last week about, about uh, Jesus didn't grab his phone first thing in the morning. Uh, so many people mentioned that to me, that just that idea that, that I said that very simple thing. First thing he did was go out and pray, not grab his phone. Put your phone away. Eliminate distractions. And number three, focus the best you can, focus your mind on Christ. How many of you could raise your hand if you, if you would? How many actually believe that how you approach a problem, a person, or God does affect what happens? Who believes that how you approach something actually affects it? Most of you, most all of you. So maybe you got to think more about how you are approaching things in your life, how you approach them. Now, let's see. Did the, did the approach affect the situation with Jesus and these two men? What's his response? He's twice He's been approached once with uh, what I called reverence, faith, and desperation. And the second time with kind of casual, a casual approach that didn't really honor Jesus and who he is. The first story is the man with leprosy. And here's the response from Jesus. And this is dramatic. Then Jesus, here's the phrase, moved with compassion. Oh, I love it. I love that phrase. Moved with compassion. Here's his love. Here's his emotion. He sees this man desperate, with faith, reverently approaching him, and it moves Jesus. And he actually, Jesus does something here he really shouldn't do. He's breaking the Jewish law. He stretched out his hand, and he touched him. And he said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. The question was, are you willing? He says, yeah, I'm willing. You're going to find this out, by the way. As you pursue Jesus, he is way more willing than you might think he is to interact in your life, to work in your life, to to move in your life. He is very willing to be at work inside of you. How about the emotional part here? Jesus is moved with compassion. That's something we should really think about. How how might we become moved with compassion as Jesus was? I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about someone being moved with compassion. We, were, uh, we had a team that went to Kenya just last year, mission, sorry, just, just this summer, a few months ago, um, went to Kenya. If you're on that team, by the way, just raise a hand, Kenya team, anywhere. Yeah, give them a hand, if you would. We've got a few, few of them in the room. Thank you very much. 
We also went, a couple years ago, we went to Kenya on a team, and I was there with, uh, with Becca and Dustin. They're right here in the front row, right here. And uh, we, 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 we sponsor uh, orphans in Kenya, and we were there, and, and there was a young man. There he is right there. His name's Joshua. Everybody say hello, Joshua. There he is, Joshua, right there. So Joshua was, uh, was unspo- unsponsored. Nobody was paying for his school fees. Nobody was really sponsoring his education or there for him. And he actually went to, to Beck and Dust, and they're there, and he, he made a simple request. Would you sponsor me? W- would you? Would, would you be willing to pay the money so I can go to school, and I can, I can be sponsored, and I can know that someone cares for me? And, and, they, and they said yes. They were moved with compassion, and they said yes. They began sponsoring him, and, and all of a sudden, they, they had this incredible relationship. Anytime I saw Joshua, Becca or Donson was really close by the, the entire time. They made, they made, he made gifts for them, and he was so invested. But, you know, the first thing was he, their hearts were moved with compassion. He, there was a moment that happened that moved them just like Jesus when he saw this person. Now, let's be honest, okay? The, the, the man with leprosy was disgusting. He smelled disgusting. He looked disgusting. He may have lost his nose or, or his fingers already. That happens with that disease. But you know what? Jesus didn't look at his outer condition. He looked all the way into his heart. He saw his heart. How about the other approach? The, the, the rich young ruler comes up and he's casual. Good teacher. What, what should I do? And, and here's what Jesus says. Here's a response. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And then he says, you know the commandments. You ask me, how do you have eternal life? You know the commandments. Now, now here's the thing about these verses. These verses are shocking when you read. Because we know that salvation in Christ comes by, I'll say it, you say amen, comes by faith. Comes by faith. And he asks, what should I do? He's asking for a works-based salvation. And we know Jesus knows how salvation might come, but he doesn't answer him. In fact, he kind of reinforces by saying, you know the commandments. Most Bible scholars, I'd say 90% of Bible scholars say Jesus in this moment is annoyed and dismissive. It may have something to do with how this rich young man approached him. Or it might just be that Jesus sees him and he's like, oh, this guy, he's so full of himself. He's so prideful. he's, He's asking a question. He thinks he knows the answer already. And Jesus is annoyed and dismissive. And he says, no one's good. Don't, don't call me good. Don't give me false flattery. No one's good except God. Now we're thinking, hey, Jesus, you are God, but he doesn't, he doesn't go there in this story. And then he says a simple thing. You know the commandments, and then he lists them. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. He's going through the commandments. But then a moment happens. A second happens in this story, and it changes everything. The man responds to him in, in verse 20, and he says, teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. He says, teacher, give me an answer. I thought you would have a real answer. I've known that what you're saying right now, I have known my whole entire life. And then Mark records a little detail. It is so beautiful. And here's the detail. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I'm going to say it again. When I stop, you guys jump in. Here we go. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him. All of a sudden, he goes from annoyed and dismissive. He really, truly looks at the person. I'm not sure the last time you've done this. I'm not sure the last time you took the time to stop everything. And in any interaction, in any place, with a family member, with a friend, a coworker, out in public, and you just stopped. You opened your eyes and you saw someone. And when you truly saw their heart, you loved them because you were seeing them. Now, I think something happens also in the story with the 10 lepers. Back in that story I started with during the worship time, there's a, there's a moment in that story, and it's really, really bizarre. Look at, look at this moment. 
The lepers called out in a loud voice, Master, have pity on us. And the very next verse says something weird. When he saw them, that's, that's just weird. Why? He should have heard them. They called out, so it should say, when he heard them, but it says when he saw them. It's pointing us to the idea that Jesus, even in that story, he sees. His eyes are open, and when he sees with his heart, he responds. Here's your second fill-in for tonight. We need to open our eyes to truly see so we might be moved by compassion and love. Open our eyes to truly see that we might be moved by compassion and by love. You know, just being transparent with you and honest with you, this season of my life I'm in right now, this this summer season kind of coming to an end, uh, has been a great season for me. I have loved it. But in this season, I've had a a number, more than normal, number of weddings and funerals that I've been a part of. And and as I approach a wedding or a funeral, I, I, I had this really tight mental focus, and it's simply this. I am going there to love people. And I pray, God, open my eyes that I might love people. I actually had the privilege of officiating a funeral just yesterday for an amazing 92-year-old woman, just an amazing experience. And most of the room of people there, uh, maybe 100 people or so in the funeral, I I had never met them before. I only knew a few of them. But I went to, to have my eyes open and to love people. And when I walked out of that room and that funeral ended quite a long time later, there was love in my heart, love in my heart for the people that were there. My eyes were open. Tomorrow, I'm officiating a funeral. I, I, uh, sorry, so sorry. I'm officiating a wedding tomorrow. They're not the same thing. They're very different things. Officiating a wedding tomorrow. Boy, I wish I hadn't said that. Uh, here, here's the couple that, I, that I'm going to be working with. That's uh, Isaac and Chloe right there. Now, Isaac is Isaac Stedman, and Stedman's attended this service for a long, long time. At least a decade they've been here in this service, and, and that's his fiancee, Chloe. She's an awesome young woman. I'll tell you what, my, my job tomorrow is going to be a very simple thing to run that service effectively and open my eyes that in the right moment, at the right time, my heart will be full of love for them. I'll have six tissues in my jacket ready to hand out tissues to everybody who's crying. I expect those tears because eyes are open and you're truly seeing. But I want you to understand this. In this example, Jesus is loving the outcast. The, The man with leprosy is the lowest point of all society, but he's also loving the person at the top of society. Jesus does not discriminate in any way in the love he gives. He's moved with compassion for someone at the bottom, and he looks and loves someone at the top as well. It doesn't matter. It is unconditional love coming from Jesus. Who would say here, raise your hand, you would say here, honestly, Pastor Tom, I could do a better job of opening my eyes, seeing people, and allowing God's love for them to enter into my heart. I would say, I could do a better job with that. Absolutely. That may be for you tonight. One of your takeaways is I got, I got to look at people. I, I can't be so distracted and so busy and so much doing my own life that I can't open my eyes and see people. Jesus responds with emotion and with action from the man with leprosy. Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said, I am willing be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. I want you to imagine that moment. Here's the man. He's on his knees. He comes to Jesus. If you're willing, you can make me clean. He stretches out his hand, moved with compassion. He touches him. He says, I am willing. And immediately, this is a, this is a miracle. If you were there, you would be shaking at the power 
from Jesus Christ. Immediately he was cleansed. You know, for us reading the story, we see it on two levels. Level one is the actual story we're studying. A true, it's a true story. A true man and Jesus, and they had an interaction, and the man's life was changed forever. But we also see it on a, another level. We also understand that just like this man had a disease, we also have the disease of sin in our lives. And that Jesus promises us cleansing, that we also can be cleansed by Jesus Christ. Here's number three. Jesus is willing to make us clean, to forgive us of all of our sin. He's willing. He's happy. He's waiting. He's saying, I have the power. I want to see. I want to see your faith. I want to see you understand who I am. He's willing to make us clean, forgive us all of our sin. Here's a verse about that, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness. This is a powerful verse. It calls on us to do something, confess our sin. We confess it, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. He does two things. He forgives and he purifies. Think about those two things. Being forgiven is one thing. Being purified is a whole different thing. Now that, that forgiveness confession comes for one reason. Two verses earlier, it said this, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, I want you to understand that. The cross of Jesus, the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, Spurgeon puts it like this. Stand at the foot of the cross. Count the purple drops by which you've been cleansed. See the crown of thorn. Behold his scourged sh- shoulders. And if you do not lie, prostrate on the ground before the cross. You have not seen it at all. Take it in. The power of Jesus. The power of his cleansing, his forgiveness on your life. Now, some of you in this room today may want today to confess a sin. Say, God, there's something on my heart. We haven't talked about it yet. When I go to pray or worship, it feels like there's something between us. And you need to get right with God tonight. Because Jesus changes lives. I'm going to show you a video now, a video testimony. Lights are going to come down about a life that was changed by Jesus. It's a powerful story. Powerful story. As you watch this video, I just want to remind you, we actually showed this testimony video of Shane Shipley. We showed it back in, back in last December, so he's going to mention some time frames. He, he shot the video in last December. That's what he's talking about. But, but listen to the story and be reminded how Jesus changes lives. Right here, right in our midst, right here. Here's the video. Hi, my name is Shane Shipley. I've been attending Spring Hill for a year now. This is my story from hopelessness to hope. Um, In 2012, I got sick and I went to the ER, um, had an infection, and it came back and told me that uh, I had leukemia. And the worst part about that, it was on Christmas Eve. Um, I thought, I don't get sick. This can't be, you know, but it was true. A couple weeks later, they called to confirm that I do have leukemia. The reality of finding out I had leukemia, I ended up losing all hope. Um, I ended up going down one of the darkest roads ever, turned to drugs, ended up losing my family, my house, my job, even myself. Growing up, I never even used drugs. Um, It was really shocking to find out how easy it was to go get some meth. I then developed a pattern of uh, horrible decisions. I ended up going to prison for three years. I then Got out in 2020, had no support system, nobody out there, no family, no friends. Ended up back on drugs again. 
then fast forward a little bit, uh, October 24th of 2021, I ended up back in jail. While sitting in jail, Pastor Scott Hayes come talk to me about his faith-based sober house, um, explained to me about accepting Jesus Christ and prayed with me. And um, I then prayed with him and accepted Jesus Christ as my savior and started to cry, you know, just started to have hope for once in my life. After that, uh, God has led me to the Calvary house and then the Spring Hill Baptist and then put me in contact with Celebrate Recovery, worked the steps, and through all that, he has changed my life. Since then, everything has changed. Um, I've been sober now for like 13 months. My cancer is in remission since September 16th of 2022. And I just want to say especially thanks to Scott Hayes, Joe French, Chris Dotts, Michael Lewis, Trey Freeman, Pastor Tom for giving me this great opportunity to tell my story and and to every single one that's opened your hearts to me that started trusting me and believing in me. Hopelessness to me feels like uh, like you're empty, like you have nothing to live for, you know. So going from that to having hope to showing that I have a purpose, you know, I have a story to tell. How about a hand for Shane and just telling his story and talking about what's happening? And I'll I'll give you an up I'll give you an update on Shane. Shane is uh, still here in church. He's doing fantastic. He's actually uh, getting married this September, which is an awesome thing. And I'll also give you a, a little update on our, our ministry, Celebrate Recovery Ministry. We've been, we've been that ministry has been growing exponentially uh, and just really, really taking off. And we understand that we're, we're we were actually we have been for some time just uh, driving buses, you know, from Newark here for Celebrate Recovery. And and we had some time to think and evaluate. We actually found a church. I'm announcing this right now for the first time, by the way. We found a church uh, on the east end of Newark, right across from the Salvation Army, right near near Heartbeats down that way. Uh, it's called Newark Faith Church. Perfect set up to potentially host both our CR and then eventually a, a, a service on Sunday nights there as well. And so starting this week, CR is moving to that location. We're not going to have to bus so many folks here. We'll be right in the community and area that they're primarily coming from. And it's just an amazing, amazing testimony uh, to both Pastor Trey's incredible leadership, but also how God is using that ministry. You can give it a hand if you want to. Go ahead. Uh, to truly change lives in a very, very significant way to change lives. It's just really an awesome an awesome thing. So let's, we've already talked about this. How do they approach Jesus? How does Jesus respond as, they re, as, as they've come to him? And then we see, we're seeing now the leadership of Jesus. So Jesus looks at the rich young ruler. He looks at him and he loves him. The man that has leprosy, he touches him and his leprosy is cleansed immediately. Let's stay with that story. The man with leprosy, Jesus strictly warned him. Now, in the Greek, it is stronger than here in English. In the Greek, this is a, a harsh warning. Jesus sees him. He moves with compassion. He touches him. He heals him. And it's almost like, this is not what happens, but it's almost like he grabs his collar and pulls him up to his face, and he gives him a strong warning. And he says this, I strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And he said this, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, understand what Jesus asks is difficult and somewhat unnatural. 
If you just got cleansed of leprosy, you want to see your family, you want to communicate to everyone, look at my life, it's amazing. But Jesus says, don't tell anyone what happened. Number one, you'll see why in a second. And number two, he says, go to the priest. Now, this is the big thing. They're in Galilee. They're on the northern side of Galilee, and, and the priest is 40 miles away. He's asking this man to do something very difficult. It's about a week-long walk from where he is down to Jerusalem to go in the temple, find a priest, and be declared clean. It's a, it's a big thing. He's asking him for something difficult. Here's how the man responds back to Jesus. However, the man with leprosy, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer enter openly into the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. This is a, this is a really sad story about this man with leprosy. He comes to Jesus in the right way. Jesus responds in the right way. He is cleansed. Then he's given a, a, a command, a strict, stern command, and he does not obey Jesus. And Jesus suffers from the testimony of this man. How, how about the other situation with the rich young man? Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he says this. Here's the leadership of Jesus. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Actually, these two stories that are so different, they end in the same way. They end in the exact same way. Jesus loves both of them. They get his love. They get his compassion. They get his best. And he gives them a hard command to follow. And they just don't do it. Here's your last fill-in for tonight. Fill-in number four. It's a, it's a very, very important one to look at and to understand. Jesus does not hesitate to ask us to do difficult things as an act of obedience. In fact, right now, I can promise you, he is asking you to do some difficult things. He's asking you to get serious about your faith. He's asking you that he, Jesus, would be your first love over everything in your life. He's asking you to lay it all down and surrender to him. He's asking you for hard, difficult things. Now, I'll say this. Life is full of hard and difficult things. I am proud to say to all of you tonight, I am in a fantastic, loving, strong marriage. But you know what? That took hard work. That took, that took sacrifice on my wife's part and my part to build something amazing. It's not perfect every day, but it's strong and it's good. You know what it called for? Difficult decisions done right. Jesus calls us to that. Any of you here that are successful in your career, you know, you had to make difficult decisions. Difficult things must have been done to get you where you are. That's what life demands, and that's what Jesus demands of us. Let me say it again. Jesus does not hesitate to ask us to do difficult things as an act of obedience. Would you do this tonight? Would you pray and ask him, what are you calling me to do? What are you calling me to? It may be difficult. It may be hard. It may, it may not be. It might be easy. He may be calling you to forgive someone that you really don't want to forgive. That's difficult and it's hard, but it's an act of obedience. He may be calling you to invite someone to church or talk, talk about him to one of your neighbors or a coworker or a friend or a sibling or a parent or a child. He might be calling you to something that you find difficult and hard, but he's not afraid. He's not hesitate to ask us to do difficult things, to repent and to follow him 
with our lives. How many would say, just raise your hand last time for hand raising tonight. Who would say this? You know at one point in your life, maybe recently, Jesus called you to something difficult. Just raise your hand. He called you to something difficult. Most of you are raising your hand. That's what he does. He doesn't hesitate. It's no problem for him to say, go and sell all you have. Go to the priest, walk down, walk for a week. Go to the priest and show them that you're cleansed. He doesn't mind. He doesn't hesitate. Jesus understands following him is difficult and he asks us for difficult things. Hey, would you bow your heads tonight? We're gonna invite the praise team to come back. Come on back, worship team. As your heads are bowed, eyes are closed right now. I just wanna ask you, where, where are you? Where are you with, with looking at Jesus and his example and his life? Think back over, over this sermon and you can begin by just remembering that very first, the very first point that we made was how you approach a person, a problem, or God may affect the outcome. Think about how you're approaching God. Now, any way you do it is a good way to do it, but there may be a better way. Preparing your heart, eliminating distractions, focusing your mind. Second of all, we talked about the Necessity to have our eyes open to love people. Have our eyes open to be moved with compassion and allow God's love to come through us. And third of all, was about being cleansed. Maybe tonight, maybe tonight, right where you're sitting, or maybe you want to walk to the altar and just say, God, forgive me. I confess this thing in my life. Forgive me. Last of all, he's probably calling you to a hard thing. There's probably something difficult, maybe as difficult as daily time in the word and prayer, whatever it might be. Why not respond tonight and say, yes, God, yes, I will do what you're calling me to do, even though it's difficult in my life. Father, I pray for all those who are here tonight. I pray, God, our time of worship and just hearing about Jesus and seeing his heart, his love, how he lived, how how he led, has challenged us to be more like him. Work in this room tonight, Father, as we sing this last song, as we go out as lights of the world, leaving this room tonight. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.